It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. I think it's a great place to start because you're right. A lot of people feel like once they've had one child, infertility is never going to happen to them. They're good. And that's not the case. Probably about 25% of my patients have secondary infertility. And I always think it's a hard spot because you're, one, not prepared for it. Two, you don't really feel like you fit into any group. You have this infertility community that maybe feels like you're not grateful for the child that you have, yet you're left feeling like you're missing this huge gap and you want this fulfilled and you don't understand what's going on with your body. You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, where you'll gain the knowledge and confidence you need to erase the unknowns of pregnancy and birth and rock the newborn days like a boss. My name is Liesl Team. I'm a fellow mom, labor and delivery nurse, and your host. Each week on this podcast, you'll hear a mix of birth stories, expert interviews, and other fun pregnancy and birth-related content. As a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast is not medical advice. Please see mommylabornurse.com slash disclaimer for more details. And now let's get into this week's episode. This week on the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, I had the opportunity to chat with the lovely Dr. Natalie Crawford all about infertility and more specifically, secondary infertility. Dr. Crawford is a board-certified OBGYN and reproductive endocrinologist. She has a large social media following on Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok, where she shares amazing content related to all things fertility and women's health with a healthy dose of buzzworthy controversy thrown in. Inside the episode, Dr. Crawford talks all about why she became an REI, shares about her own struggles with infertility, and talks a lot about the way the landscape of infertility support, community, and connection has changed over the past five to 10 years. You'll hear us talk about some of the most common causes of secondary infertility, what it looks like when you go to a fertility doctor for the first time, and what to expect from that process. Dr. Crawford and I discuss what can be done to address infertility, when and why certain treatment options are used, and a whole lot more. So whether you are personally navigating infertility or have a loved one that is struggling to conceive, this episode will help you gain some insight and knowledge into the world of fertility through Dr. Crawford's expert lens. Let's dive right in. Hi, Natalie. Welcome to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here and to talk all about fertility, pregnancy, and all the things. Yeah, fellow podcaster too. So I've I have had a couple people who have podcasts of their own come onto the show. And it's just it's just fun to have a fellow podcaster on. So I appreciate you coming, coming to chat with me today. Can you just start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and your family? Where are you from? What you ate for breakfast or anything you want to share? <laughs> Perfect. I love it. Yeah. So I am Dr. Natalie Crawford. I am a fertility doctor in Austin, Texas. And last year, 
in the middle of the pandemic, we opened a boutique fertility practice called Fora Fertility. So that is my third child, as I say. Love it. Oh, thank you. It's, it's a <laughs> labor of love, literally. But yeah. I uh, went into medicine because I just, you know, I loved it. I wanted to help people. I'm a doctor because I'm very, very controlling. And I actually matched into emergency medicine, which a lot of people don't know, and realized really quickly that that wasn't the right field for me. I really wanted to be more involved in my patients and their lives and play a bigger role in helping them figure out whatever it was that their problem was. And I switched over to OBGYN. So I did four years of OBGYN residency in Dallas at Parkland Hospital, which is one of the busiest in the country. And then I moved to North Carolina, which we were chatting about earlier. And I was at UNC for three years at UNC Fertility for my fellowship before we returned to Austin. And I've been here for five years now. I had infertility with my kids. So my kids are now five and seven. And I had three miscarriages and an ectopic pregnancy before I had my daughter. And I felt very alone. And I was a resident and a fertility fellow during the time. And I would search the internet and look on blogs and read the what not, you know, what to expect forums. Yeah. And was really searching for community and information. And that was something that was lacking at the time. People weren't on Instagram talking about health information. Right. And I realized that in the midst of my own infertility, I saw women every day who sat across from me and were shocked by secondary infertility or age-related infertility and what delaying childbearing because they were chasing this awesome career, what position it led them to. And over and over, they said, I wish I'd known this sooner. Why does nobody talk about this? Why is there so much stigma? So that propelled me to start an Instagram account about five years ago, a Natalie Crawford MD, where talk about fertility a lot and try to break down those barriers. Mostly now, I feel like it's just a controversial account where I talk about all the hot topics like the COVID vaccine and the abortion laws in Texas and all of those things that get okay, people. Okay, you know, <laughs> you know what? Um, you evolve, you know, that's okay. You evolve, but really, it's because I've taken a lot of the fertility content to be a little bit more evergreen, like you have. So I have the As a yeah. One podcast and I have a YouTube channel because. What happens on Instagram is you post something one day and it lives for a day and then it goes away. So it's a great way to get people in the door. But I really thought, you know, I can talk an hour about IVF. You know, I don't need to write about it in a tiny little post every day. Mm -hmm. So really that's become my mission is to educate people and really make your health, your fertility, an empowering experience that you say, hey, I have the facts. I can talk to my doctor really well educated. I can ask appropriate questions. I can make sure that I am thinking about what is best for me in my life. And I always ask people, what's your goal? So, hey, Mm -hmm. what are you trying to get out of this? And what would your perfect world look like? And how can we help you do that? I'm also vegan. So I eat vegan food for breakfast. Cool. Love it. um, Yeah. And we have a little dog and she's a schnoodle. So she's a part schnauzer, part poodle. And she's a little pandemic pup who was found on the streets of Laredo. So we love her. So sweet. We're, we're thinking about getting another, we had a dog. Um, she bless her heart. She was 13 or 14 when she passed away during COVID like March or April kind of back. It was just her time to go. She was having seizures for a little while at the end of her life. And it was just her time to go. Um, but now that we have Ryland and he's about to be a year, I'm like, should I just go for it and get a dog now when he's little or like, should I wait till he's get he gets a little bit older? And I mean, I love dogs. So I'm like trying to convince my husband to just like pull the trigger, but like, we waited. Yeah. I had a little dog who, um, her name was Lacey and she died right before 
Rhett, my youngest, was born like the mm-hmm. week before. Yeah. And she'd been my like through med school and residency, yeah. like my first yeah. child. I loved her. But we uh, waited until Rhett was old enough to be able to contribute to helping with the puppy. So he was four when we got our new dog. Yeah. And I thought I think that it was hard because I just wanted a little creature around. But anyways, I think that was great because now he has a lot more responsibility with her and kind of yeah. understands. He probably would have like sat on her and squashed her because he was a crazy boy when he was younger. That's how Ryland is. So maybe <laughs> we should wait. <laughs> yeah, my older one is four and a half and he's been like, there's this little cat. And then I know we're we're going to eventually talk about infertility. Guys, we <laughs> promise. There's this little cat in the neighborhood that's just like the neighborhood cat. And he's just like, I love the cat. You know, he's like, can we get a pet? Can we, every time the cat comes around, I'm like, well, you got to talk to dad about that. <laughs> I'm like, if it were up to me, yes, we would like be getting in the car right now, but you're like, we have a zoo. It would be great. Yes, exactly. So, all right, well, let's get into our topic today. Um, so I have, I talked to you before the episode, but I have a lot of moms who are pregnant, um, for the first time. And I have a lot of moms who have just had their babies and they're maybe thinking about having a second child and they might be, you know, I know secondary, you talked about it in the intro that secondary infertility is definitely a thing. And I think a lot of people don't realize that it's a thing until they like get into it because like, why would it be a thing? It doesn't make sense why it's a thing. (laughs) So can we just start with, let's just start with that and start like with what is secondary infertility? Like, why does it happen? Um, how many, like, I want to know too, out of the people that you see, is it one of the more common issues that you see people for? And let's just, let's just talk all about it. Cause I know a lot of people are going to be interested in that topic. I think it's a great place to start because you're right. A lot of people feel like once they've had one child, infertility is never going to happen to them. They're good. And that's not the case. Probably about 25% of my patients have secondary infertility. And I always think it's a hard spot because you're not one, not prepared for it. Two, you don't really feel like you fit into any group. You have this infertility community that maybe feels like you're not grateful for the child that you have, yet you're left feeling like you're missing this huge gap and you want this fulfilled and you don't understand what's going on with your body. Infertility overall is failing to get pregnant after 12 months of trying to conceive if you're under age 35 or six months if you're over age 35. Mm -hmm. Secondary infertility is when you've had a prior live birth with your current partner and now you're having a hard time conceiving a second or a third or a fourth, whatever number kid that you are on. Okay. So it's not just that second. It's like anyone. Okay. It can happen to anyone. You can have a couple kids and then suddenly it happens. Okay. This is because some of the causes of infertility are progressive. They may get worse over time. And some of the things change as we get older and some things happen after birth and you can suddenly now have a birth complication that you didn't even realize that has now left you infertile. So if we start thinking through top causes of infertility or things to be aware of, number one, if you're not having regular periods or your periods are irregular, this is going to make it extremely hard to get pregnant. So if Mm -hmm. you want to have another child, if you're having really prolonged breastfeeding, that's wonderful and great. We want to support that. But that can lead to period irregularities or amenorrhea, absence of periods, and that can make it difficult to conceive. So at some point, you may reach a juncture where you have to say, I need to stop breastfeeding in order to get those menstrual cycles back and get pregnant. Another thing is endometriosis. Endometriosis is one of my least favorite diseases. Mm -hmm. It is actually really quite common, and it's really hard to diagnose. The average person 
wait seven to 10 years to get a diagnosis for endometriosis. Oh, wow. And they see multiple physicians. It is a progressive disease. So the easiest way to think about it is the endometrium or the lining of the uterus. Every month, that's what you bleed off. And I like to think about it as when you bleed, you have cramps. Some of those little endometrial cells move out into your abdominal cavity. And we know that. If I go did an appendectomy on you while you're on your period, Lisa, I would see some menstrual blood in your abdominal cavity, no big deal. Mm -hmm. But in endometriosis, there's an autoimmune response, like an inflammatory response to that normal thing that happens of having menstrual cell shedding. And your body develops this inflammation that progresses over time, can cause pain. It can lead to scarring. And this can also lead to a decrease in your egg quality or your ovarian reserve. So it can be really impactful for fertility. The more you ovulate, the worse it gets, meaning the more time mm. that goes on. Estrogen with ovulation stimulates those lesions and they get worse over and over. And this is why in a nutshell, a lot of patients who have pelvic pain when they're younger get put on birth control pills. So mm -hmm. you don't have pain with birth control pills typically because you're not ovulating, your hormones are more stable, and it's a good treatment for pelvic pain. But if you have endometriosis, it's only a surgical diagnosis. You may not know. Symptoms may vary, but this is a top cause. So it wasn't so bad when you got pregnant with baby one. Here we are years later down the road. Okay. And now it that has gotten sense. worse to this point where it's impacting your ability to get pregnant. Yeah. Another is both female and male infertility decreases as we get older. So you're by parent older was baby number two or three than you were with the first one. Mm -hmm. And so we start to see those chromosomal abnormalities increase over age 35. That decreases the chance of getting pregnant per month. That increases the chance of miscarriage or genetic abnormality. Happens to men too, but a, typically a generally older age. So if you have a partner who's significantly older than you, we tend to see male infertility impacting conception rates at about 45 and older. Okay. And so those are things that we want to evaluate and understand, well, what is my chance per month and how many kids are, am I wanting and is everything else working? Other things, if you had a traumatic birth, if you had a retained placenta, if you had postpartum hemorrhage, if you needed a blood transfusion, if you had a post-op DNC, if you had a uterine infection, if you had a C-section, you might have scar tissue or blockage of your fallopian tubes now. And mm -hmm. so anything that kind of happened that was not standard, and I've even seen it just from regular vaginal delivery because the uterus is undergoing this huge change. And yeah. when the body heals from that, sometimes it scars. So we always want to go through, but I see it a lot in patients who will say, oh yeah, I did end up, you know, getting an infection and I had a bad choreo and I had antibiotics or I had that placenta and I had to go in and get it afterward. Those are big warning signs that our anatomy may not be the same anymore as it was previously. And we want to undergo an investigation to see are our fallopian tubes still open? Is our uterus still fine? Is there any scar tissue inside? Make sure that we have all of that information. And then the thing I'll just kind of end with this secondary infertility causes is that male fertility is really, really dependent on the environment. So mm -hmm. we see sperm factors. It, Sperm is constantly produced, unlike eggs, and they change every three months. That's the lifespan of a sperm. Things like smoking, marijuana use, a COVID infection, those things can severely impact sperm counts. So lifestyle factors that may be different now. So if your partner is now smoking a lot of marijuana and they weren't back when you got pregnant previously, mm -hmm. that could be something that is now contributing to your current infertility when you didn't have it before. Okay. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so let's talk about, so if someone's having um, 
secondary infertility and they come in to see you, you know, come in to have an appointment, what does that look like? So what does like, you know, let's say I've been trying for, let's say I'm over 35 and I've been trying for six months and, you know, I'm seeing my OB, my OB recommends that I go to go and see a fertility specialist. What are some of the first things that you guys would do or talk to me about? Fall is here, school is in, and mom is in full swing work mode. Rylan has been waking up earlier and earlier these days, which I'm not always a fan of right at 5.30 in the morning, but once I'm up playing with him on these quiet mornings, it really reminds me that this is such a special time, just me and him. One of our favorite activities we love on those extra early days is digging into his panda crate from KiwiCo. If you're a working mom like me or just want a little extra quality time with your kiddo, why not switch things up with a Panda Crate box from KiwiCo? Panda Crate is a subscription box filled with playful, open-ended activities developed in partnership with Seattle Children's Hospital. With a Panda Crate subscription from KiwiCo, your baby receives a new crate filled with two months worth of products and content every other month. Whether you have a brand new newborn or a trailblazing toddler, the Panda Crate is perfect for your little one's developing brain. Panda Crate is here to help infants and toddlers build a foundation for learning. Personally, Rylan loves his new Poppy Says Hello Panda book. He's just starting to get to the age now where he really enjoys books, and this one helps him practice his animal sounds, explore numbers and counting, and practice saying hello. Designed just for infants and toddlers, Panda Crate is grounded in the study of early childhood development in a way that's made helpful, practical, and convenient for parents. Every crate comes with a magazine and activity card featuring research-backed content and activities to nurture your little ones. All ship right to your door. And there's no commitment, so you can pause or cancel anytime. Build a foundation for early learning with Panda Crate from KiwiCo. Get 50% off your first month plus free shipping with code MLN50 at KiwiCo.com. That's 50% off your first month at KiwiCo.com, promo code MLN50. And now let's get right back into this week's episode. Wonderful. So what we're first going to do is a really detailed history. Visits with a fertility doctor are not like visits with your OBGYN. My new patient visits are an hour long. So we deep dive into wow. everything, which should make you feel really good that we're asking nitty gritty questions, looking for little clues. So yeah. really long consult with an extensive taking of your history, trying to understand all the factors that could be contributing. And then almost everybody's going to undergo a diagnostic evaluation and then a follow-up after that testing to review the results and try to figure out what to do next. So when we start thinking through, well, what's involved in the, in the diagnostic evaluation? One's going to be a semen analysis. So that's pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. Male partner, if there is one, is going to collect a sperm sample. We will evaluate to see how much sperm, how does it move, what is the shape, and get that evaluation. Just because he had sperm and you got pregnant three years ago, does not reflect that he has sperm and all is normal now. So we want to see what's the current state of affairs when it comes to sperm. That's all that we require from our male partner at the moment. Everything else is female-based. So unfortunately, we get picked on a little bit more. I mean, it is what it is, right? It is what it is, man. We carry the the burden of this baby making, it's for sure. Um, So what we're going to do is we want to look at this in a few different factors. So one, we talk about ovarian reserve. 
Ovarian reserve is how many eggs do you have left? We want to understand where you are on that reproductive decline in egg number because we know every woman is born with all the eggs she's ever going to have. She's going to run out of them over time. And when she's out, she's in menopause. This does not cause infertility. So this is always really confusing to people. If you have a low egg count, it doesn't mean you can't get pregnant because you're still ovulating one egg just like everybody else's, but it's reflecting eggs that are remaining inside. This is really critical for secondary infertility though, because if you want another kid and you come to me and I say, hey, you're going to run out of eggs at an earlier time period. We suddenly now have fire under our feet to be more aggressive. Maybe we make different choices. Maybe we kind of reevaluate, what if you wanted two kids? Well, what do we do? Do we need to do something to preserve your fertility? So that factor of ovarian reserve, which is usually determined by one, a blood test called AMH, anti-mullerian mm-hmm. hormone, and two, a pelvic ultrasound, so a vaginal ultrasound, where we go and we count what we call these follicles. We look for what we call an antral follicle count or an AFC. My favorite analogy on the planet that I came up with is imagine your ovary that there's a vault inside. When you're born, all your eggs are in the vault. Every month, a group of eggs come out of the vault. Each egg grows inside a follicle. When you ovulate, one of these follicles is being stimulated to grow. That's the one you ovulate. The rest of the eggs that were released from the vault, they die. The next month, another group comes out. The size of that group is proportional to how many eggs you have left. So if your vault is full and you're young, you have a lot of eggs come out every month. And as you start to get closer to menopause, you'll only have one or two come out of the vault every month. So we can use those eggs outside the vault as a surrogate marker for how many eggs are left inside. This number's also... interesting. Yeah, isn't that crazy? I know. This is also a plug ovarian reserve because these are things people don't think about. When you do egg egg freezing, so people want to freeze their eggs, they're always like, oh, I don't want to run out of eggs or, you know, go into menopause sooner because you're taking eggs out of my body. When we do egg freezing or IVF, we can only get the eggs that are outside the vault to grow. So we're just trying to say, hey, we don't want anybody to die this month. Let's let everybody grow. Give those eggs a chance at becoming a baby later. We can't tap into the vault. So the vault is what it is. Mm -hmm. And so we're limited by somebody's own potential. And this is why when people maybe do IVF, you could have two people the same age One person has to go through lots of cycles and the other person does not. And it's always really confusing and scary to somebody standing on the outside. Mm -hmm. And the number one reason why is having a low egg count. So I can overcome a low egg count by getting more eggs. So if one person releases 20 eggs per month and the other person releases five, well, I could do four rounds. I could get the five from August, five from September, Mm -hmm. five from October. And we can overcome that variable which is much better than you can't overcome age. Once your chromosomes inside that vault break down, they're broken down. We can't do anything about it. But that is one thing to think about is that you're not going to impact your future fertility by egg freezing or IVF. That's just important side okay. note there. Okay. But so we'll, yeah. we'll check your ovarian reserve. So that's ultrasound and blood work. And then the last one is we want to check the inside of your uterus and your fallopian tubes, that anatomy factors that we were talking about that can come from endometriosis or surgical pregnancy complications. And that's going to be with some type of imaging. Typically, it's with an x-ray test called an HSG. That's a hysterosalpingogram. That's where we put dye into the uterus, watch with x-ray to make sure the inside of the uterus and the fallopian tubes are open. And then if your periods are irregular, we'll usually scout out other causes of why periods are irregular, like thyroid disease, pituitary abnormalities, diabetes, et cetera. So blood work, ultrasound, x-ray, semen analysis, gather up all the data because 
your reproductive endocrinologist, we're very, very nerdy. We get all the data, love it, love it. And then we'll sit down and go over it all and make a game plan for what makes the most sense for you trying to get pregnant. That makes sense. That's cool. And is, so is that all in one appointment or is it like, okay, we're going to do this over the course of a month or a couple of weeks or. Good question. It takes about a month to get it all done. The x-ray test is cycle dependent. So you have to do it in a certain time window in your menstrual cycle. And so typically I will see patients for a new patient visit. All of ours are still on telemedicine right now. Cool. So you'll sit on your couch. We'll chat, chat, chat. We'll make a whole to-do list. And then you'll kind of start coming in for different appointments to do your ultrasound, your blood, the semen analysis, and the x-ray. And then once we get it all, we'll go through all the results. Cool. Very cool. All right. Well, let's talk about kind of like next steps. And it's hard for me to think of like a, you know, kind of patient that, okay, this person has this kind of issue and you would recommend Clomid or this kind of patient would, you know, has this issue and you you would recommend IUI. So can we just go through like, you know, maybe the most common options you would say like, Hey, this is what Clomid is. This is what IUI is. This is why this person would get IUI. This is why this person might get IVF. Definitely. So we have limited tools in our tool belt. And I think a lot of patients are surprised. They think we have some magic fairy dust that we can just get everybody. I mean, I wish I I tell patients that all the time. I'm like, if I had the magic dust, we would sprinkle it. And 100% of people get pregnant super easy. But the reality is there are only a handful of things we can do. So it's pretty easy to go through what they are and when are they indicated. So the first thing to say is that the easiest kind of step one treatment is what we call ovulation induction. These are medications that you take to make you ovulate. This is best indicated if your periods are not regular. So a regular period is one that comes within one to two days of expected every month. If your periods come every month, but they really hop around, one cycle is 22 days and one is 34 and one is 25 and one is 38. That's not regular. That's irregularly regular. It's harder to ovulate when your lining is ready and it may represent underlying issues. So we'll try to figure out if there's a reason why, but let's presume we don't have a reason. Everything's fine. We can then take either Clomid or its sister medication called Letrozole. Brand name is Famara. And those medications work similarly by telling the brain to send out more FSH. FSH is follicle stimulating hormone. So we talked about each egg coming out of the vault in a follicle. FSH is normally sent out by the brain to get one of these follicles to grow. So if we don't think that process is happening at a predictable interval, we can then give you a medication to tell your brain, hey, brain, send out more FSH. Make sure you do your job, man. Come on, brain. (laughs) Um, And so it's just kind of like amplifying that natural signal. So the brain has to be on and listening. So a great example is somebody who doesn't have periods because of um, an eating disorder, because they've been trying Mm -hmm. to lose that baby weight. They've been really in a caloric deficiency, working out like crazy. And now they're not having periods because their brain has deemed the environment of the body too stressful and it has stopped sending out FSH. If your brain is not turned on, I can give you all the Clomid I want and your brain's going to laugh at me. It's like, hey, we're not working right now. Switch is off. So you really want to make sure that we're getting to the root cause of why you're having irregular or no periods before we just throw medication at it. These medications, though, are pretty low risk. They're just pills that you take. We like to watch to make sure you don't over respond. I always tell patients. We don't need John and Kate plus eight. We're not shooting for reality shows. We want safety first. <laughs> yeah. And so we want to see, we want to see, hey, here's some medication. We want to watch to confirm that you're ovulating. How many follicles are you growing? And then let you time intercourse. So we'll tell patients, hey, this is how you're going to 
track when you're ovulating. Some clinics use ovulation predictor kits. Some use a trigger shot, regardless of what your clinic may do. We'll then say, hey, go have sex on these days. So for that type of cycle, I want your uterus and fallopian tubes to be normal, semen analysis to be normal. You're just not ovulating perfectly. So that's kind of one option. All right. The sound of that baby crying means it's time for this week's segment of Birth It Up Babies. So this Birth It Up Baby I got via email and she says, I just wanted to reach out and let you know how much the natural birth course helped me for the delivery of my first little one. The best part was I did not plan to have a natural birth, but I figured, hey, why not educate myself on all ends of the spectrum? I'm a physical therapist, so I truly appreciate and mirror your zest for education. Super cool. Love that. So she says, long story short, you know that tiny percentage of first-time moms that have precipitous labor? Well, that was me. Started getting contractions around noon. I was just thinking, shoot, this really hurts. I can't believe it's going to get so much worse. Thank God I'm getting an epidural. And baby boy was here at 5.17 p.m. Wow. (laughs) When we got to the hospital, I was fully dilated, water broke in the car, full-on movie scene style, trying not to push was near impossible, kept thinking, how the hell am I supposed to be a rag doll? (laughs) Doctor said, you want to try for an epidural or do you want to go have this baby? I swear I would not have been brave enough to say, let's just do this. I can do this naturally without taking your course. Education is power, girl. If you ever need someone to share a precipitous labor story, just let me know. I'll have to reach out to you to come and share your story. (laughs) She says, mom and baby are home safe and we're getting by. Can't say enough how educating myself on the fourth trimester and breastfeeding help too. Not that anything can truly prepare you. Yes, agree with that. Thank you for all you do. It makes a huge difference for moms everywhere. Oh, I love that story. So if you want to learn about the course that she took, she took Birth It Up, the natural series, you can head on over to mommylabornurse.com and click on the natural series. All right, let's get right back into this week's episode. Another option is an IUI. IUI is intrauterine insemination. This is where we take the sperm on the day that you're ovulating. It gets processed and placed in a catheter. Then that catheter gets inserted through the cervix into the uterus. I always use a sports analogy here saying, hey, this is taking your best players and putting them further down the field. Mm -hmm. If they can't make the shot, they still won't make the shot if they're not good enough. But we're just trying to help things out. Yeah. This is this is appropriate for mild semen abnormalities, so not severe ones. You still have to have, you know, players who can kick the ball and enough of them to win the game. Mm -hmm. But so if there's mild abnormalities in the sperm parameters, we often will consider an IUI. That can be done in a natural cycle where you track your own ovulation. That can be done in a cycle with Clomid or Letrozole, just depending on the entire picture at hand. So that is best for normal fallopian tubes and uterus um, and just mild sperm abnormalities. That makes sense. I have a question before you go into IVF. Yeah. So I'm curious, um, with the semen analysis, what do you like what sorts of things can can you see how mobile they are and can you see like like what sorts of things yeah now, I'm I, just I'm just curious I love it so <laughs> the three things we look at is one is the concentration so how okay. many sperm there are so in okay. my sports world are there enough players to win the game or not okay number two motility can they move and can they move in a straight line like if they're okay. drunk and swimming they can't do their job of getting in the egg they're not going to yeah. help us yeah and then number three morphology like if they have two heads or three tails or mm-hmm. like a wonky head they're not protecting that dna well enough 
we're worried they can't do the job. What's a sperm's job? It needs to swim. It needs to fertilize an egg. It needs to protect the DNA that lives inside the head. So we're looking at those factors to see if we think the sperm can accomplish that job in a natural setting, which is the female body. Or does it need help? Do we need to highly concentrate it and try to get those best players further down the field? Or is it like so poor that now we're at a situation where we need to actually look from a microscope, pick out the best player and put it into Know, like really make the goal happen. And that's oh, what we're doing with IVF. So when you have severe abnormalities, that's when we start leaning towards IVF. Got Before it. I jump into IVF too, I will say that there is something called unexplained infertility. This happens to patients with secondary infertility. Happens about 30% of the time with all the patients we see. And it's really frustrating and it's yeah. worth noting. This means you go through that whole litany of diagnostic tests And it's all normal. Sperm is fine. You're ovulating. Your tubes are open. Your uterus is normal. And I sit across from you and say, I don't have the reason, which is really hard because humans love knowing what the problem is because then we can say, great, how do we go and fix it? And unexplained leaves you in a middle zone. When you have unexplained infertility, there's two treatment options that have shown to be helpful. One is a combination of using Clomid or Letrozole with an IUI. So that's kind of our less aggressive treatment. This doubles the chance of you getting pregnant versus just having sex, but it's still at least half as much as your like age-related peers would have. So it's significantly lower. The other option is IVF. And so when we branch into IVF, that's kind of the other option that will help you with that. So when we think about IVF, what is IVF? That is in vitro fertilization. So on a principle, we are fertilizing the eggs with sperm inside the lab or in the glass is what the Latin really means. Mm -hmm. So we're doing that in the lab and we're just trying to overcome a lot of different problems. IVF is the only thing that ever exceeds natural conception and it exceeds it by quite a lot in certain circumstances. As you get older and you have less time, it starts to become more of a drive to get to IVF sooner when you're going to have a better return on that investment because IVF is driven by how old you are and how many eggs you have are the two factors that are going to dictate your likelihood of success per cycle. But in general, what we're going to do is we're going to get the eggs to grow that are outside the vault. And we're going to do that by taking injectable FSH. So that same hormone that the brain releases, but we need to give it at much higher doses than your brain wants to give. I always tell patients, your brain is super smart and does not want to have 20 babies at one time. So, (laughs) you know, I can't naturally make it release enough FSH to do that. Mm -hmm. So I have to give it to you in a shot form. So those are the hormone injections you take for about two weeks when you go through the IVF process. We watch those eggs grow and then we take them out with a quick surgical procedure under like a conscious sedation, a very light anesthesia. We go vaginally and we use a needle and we go into the ovaries and we take out those follicles. We get a sperm sample the same day. Eggs are then fertilized, which creates embryos. They can grow out for five days later. And then a variety of different things can happen based on your clinical situation. Embryo can be transferred right away. That's called a fresh transfer. Mm. Embryos can be frozen, transferred in a subsequent cycle. That's called a frozen embryo transfer. Or embryos can be biopsied for genetic testing. And then they can be frozen. And then a genetically normal embryo can be transferred in a latter cycle. And yeah, and that, that that genetic testing has really overcome a lot for us, especially for our older patients who are 35 and older, because we are able 
to cut down on the number of failed transfers, cut down on the miscarriage rate, and really highlight in on which embryos have the highest potential for success. And if you don't have very many, you potentially may go do another cycle to get more, especially if you want to save embryos for a future child. So in those circumstances where we start to worry about your natural fertility in two or three years for that next baby, we can save embryos now to help make that dream family happen to you, you know, for you, regardless of your current situation. There are some options where you can just choose IVF. You'll say, hey, I want to have five kids and I'm 35. I don't care what anything else in the paper says. I'm going to tell you, if you want five kids and you're age 35, your best bet is going to be to save some embryos Mm -hmm. because we're looking at you planning on having babies between age 43 to 45, which is very low odds, not impossible, Mm -hmm. but very low without already having normal embryos in the bank. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, so knowing your goals is important, knowing your other factors are important, but IVF is essential for blocked fallopian tubes. So if your fallopian tubes are not open, you're not going to get pregnant without IVF. And that's kind of the end of that story. That's a hard diagnosis. Chlamydia is the number one cause of blocked fallopian tubes. So use condoms, you know, protect yourself, get STD tested. I'm sure most people who listen are with a current partner. But if you're going through life changes and you're with a new partner or you go back on the dating scene, please wear condoms. You'd be surprised how many people have it. Like, no, I I know. It's sad. It's like in tree. I mean, we, we have a lot of patients and finding it in triage is never the right time. You're like, geez, come on. Yeah. It's, it's tough. It's tough, but yes, use condoms when you're not trying to get pregnant for, for STDs for sure. With new partners, get STD tested, all those things. So chlamydia is a big cause. Endometriosis can cause it prior surgeries, prior abdominal infections, uterine infections. So if your fallopian tubes are blocked, IVF is what we're talking about. IVF is also what we're talking about with severe male factor. So if there's not enough players to win the game, if they can't move, if they're abnormally shaped, we want to expedite being able to get that sperm into the egg. And we're looking at IVF. As we said, it's a good option for unexplained. It significantly improves the chance of success. That's because it overcomes so many different variables at one time. We get a lot of eggs. The IVF lab is non-inflammatory. It's the right pH and the right temperature and all those perfect things, which our body often is not. We can do genetic testing. We can help with fertilization. So it's great for unexplained and it's great for family planning. And so those are what we have, you know, so we can do ovulation induction, IUI, the combination ovulation induction IUI, and we can do IVF. And so that's, that's what it's in my tool belt. And very often that, comes as a surprise for patients that there's not more that we have created or that we can work with. Things have changed over time that we used to maybe do surgery for. Great example is a tubal reversal. So let's say you had that baby and you got your tubes tied and you were like, I am done, 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 done. And then now you and your partner maybe have changed your mind or you're with a new partner. Tubal reversal is becoming a surgery of the past. It's still done in certain circumstances. It's not covered by insurance, so it's typically a cash pay thing, and it's not a guarantee. So we see a high incidence of, you know, scarring the fallopian tubes. I was going to say, there's got to be scarring. Yeah, those tubes are so delicate. Or ectopic pregnancy, you know, where you have a tubal pregnancy at that surgical incision site. And 
we now IVF is so successful in those scenarios, especially prior patients who've had fertility mm-hmm. and now their tubes are just blocked. That if you're spending cash for something, it usually makes more sense if your goal is to have a baby mm-hmm. to spend it on the thing that's getting you a baby. Yeah. But we always recommend if I have a patient or if somebody is considering going to see somebody who reverses their tubes, I don't even do that anymore. But make sure you test everything else. I have a patient right now who got her tubes reverse. They tried for two years, didn't get pregnant. Now they're seeing me for that. And his sperm count is terrible and her egg count is really low. And I feel like had she gotten the opportunity to be counseled on that a couple of years ago, she may have made a different decision at that point. So if yeah. somebody's trying to say, oh, just go see this doctor to reverse your, your tubes, that may be the right decision for you. But please evaluate all the other factors first because I want you to have all that data to make a good informed decision. And we have an option of like a low cost, low complexity IVF for patients who maybe aren't really infertile. So whether it's like lesbian couples who just yeah. need sperm or somebody whose tubes aren't functioning, but they did in the past. And it's where you don't have to use as many medications and you're younger and a variety of factors. But Anybody who's had your tubes tied, if you're on the brink, I would say go see a fertility doctor, get everything tested, and then you can make an educated choice. I will say most patients are choosing to undergo IVF instead of that surgery because if your goal is a baby, we want to get you to a baby and not to a tubal pregnancy. Yeah. No, that that makes Ah, sense. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. (laughs) No. No, that is not fun. (laughs) Well, Natalie, let's end with um, some words of advice. So I know you said in the beginning that you had you know, personal issues with infertility and losses um, previously. And oftentimes, all the time, pretty much, there's a lot of feelings that come up when infertility is in play. Um, I think just because, you know, it takes, I, I mean, you said in the beginning, back when you started your blog, that it's like you felt like you were so alone because like nobody was really talking about it. And I think a lot of people still feel that way, even though it's great. We're starting to talk about miscarriage more and loss, you know, and infertility more, but it's still very isolating, I think, for a lot of people. So there's a lot of feelings that come up. Um, and I'm sure you have a lot of people come in for that first appointment or, you know, various appointments and they're just an emotional wreck. So do you have any advice for moms, you know, secondary infertility moms, um, people who maybe somebody is listening to this podcast right now, who isn't quite pregnant yet, but dealing with infertility, any, any advice? Definitely. I think one, the world is not what it is back when I had infertility. And I think that's a good thing. So you can find information and resources and support. And I encourage you to do so because secondary infertility feels extremely isolating. You often are left in this weird place of guilt, feeling like you, are you not thankful for your kid? Are you not giving them enough attention? When the reality is most patients want another child for for their existing child. They want to give that child a sibling or somebody to experience life with. So that's not anything to be guilty about. That's what you envision your family looking like. But I really encourage people to seek out the infertility community, whether it's in Facebook groups or on Instagram, because we are seeing Gosh, when I started Instagram, the infertility community, people would not use their real names. They were hiding, you know, who they really were. It was this real disconnect. And now we see people who are openly sharing, you know, oh, I'm Natalie Crawford. And in your bio, it's like, 
you know, pregnancy loss times three, ectopic yeah. pregnancy, you know, and you're kind of really stating who you are and what you've been through. Yeah. And there are some great resources just by searching some of those, you know, hashtags infertility, fertility, TTC, mm-hmm. and you can start to come up and connect with people. So I encourage you to do so and to try to be open. And I know it's scary, but I really think that the benefit you can get from that is really immense. The second is that your fertility doctors of Instagram are working really, really hard to create content to help you not be as scared going into that first visit and to help you have resources that you need. And so whether it's some of my resources or colleagues of mine, you can find, you know, valid board certified REIs who are giving you facts about what to expect, questions to ask, basics about infertility 101. And there's no reason why if you're, you know, nervous about that visit, you don't go and start to research some of it yourself. So you're coming into this with a little background knowledge, feeling more comfortable, understanding what the process is going to look like because the unknown is always scary. And really the entire reason we do this is to make things more known, be really transparent about what the process looks like so that you can, you know, make that next step and get into an office and get that evaluation so that we can help you. And third, all your fertility doctors were really nice. We care about you. We're not scary. You know, we do this job because we, <gasps> no, yeah, we're not. Scary. <laughs> I mean, uh, it took a really long time. We are all a little bit nerdy. It's a really long training pathway. We have to do tons of research and other things and take a bajillion tests, but we do it. All of that. We did it because we really are passionate about this subject matter and passionate about this patient population. So don't be afraid of us. You're whatever that, what is that personality test? It starts with an E and Nick. Ne- you're whatever that one is, the helping one. You guys are all this, right? I'm that one, whatever number that is, I'm that one too. I feel like so many people in this space are. uh, You're right. We're giving so much of our time away, you know? Um, And then I will say the last thing is that if you go to a visit with a fertility doctor and or a clinic and it's not meshing, it's not the right relationship, this is a very personal aspect of healthcare and it is completely fine to leave and seek out somewhere that is going to better fit your needs. Do not feel trapped with a clinic or a doctor who is making you feel shameful or, you know, treating you poorly, or you're not able to get information in the way that you want. It's a personal relationship. Do not hesitate to leave and find somewhere new. Even if their clinic's a little further away, that's still fine. You know, don't let some of those factors sway you into staying with the clinic next door if they're not treating you well. Yeah. That go, I mean, we say that with OB providers, with like everyone, like make sure you have your provider, you feel like they listen to you. You feel like they're understanding, you know, of, of what you're trying to get from them. You feel like they trust you all good things. And that does, you know, just because I say that to people in, you know, to look for those kind of features in their OBGYN that goes for like all uh, all doctors out there, all providers out there. So, so important. Yeah. It's okay to, you know, take some, you know, I was gonna say autonomy, but, you know, take a little bit of charge yeah. with your healthcare and yeah. say that I'm not getting my needs met in this relationship. Be it's, a relationship. Yes, <laughs> it's okay to do that and to leave and feel guilty about it for absolutely zero minutes and just That's move right. on. That's right. Cool. Well, can you tell our listeners where they can find you on social media? I know you said it in the beginning, but you, can you just remind people? Cause I know they're going to want to follow you after this podcast. Oh, episode. you're so <laughs> sweet. So I am on Instagram and TikTok at Natalie Crawford, MD. 
I have a podcast called As a Woman, and I'm on YouTube at Natalie Crawford MD also. And if you are in Texas and you are interested in coming to be a patient, it is forafertility.com. That's F-O-R-A. Fora is Latin for forum or a meeting place. So we like to envision this as a place where you come as you are, we meet you there, and we're going to help you get to that next stage of your journey. Very cool. Love it. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. This was a pleasure. Thank you. Have a good one. (laughs) You too. All right, guys, that wraps up this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and letting me be a part of your motherhood journey. It is truly an honor. If you like what you heard, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And I love hearing what you guys think of the podcast. So if you're liking what you hear or you have a suggestion, I'd be so grateful if you'd go ahead and leave me a review wherever you're listening to help more mamas just like you find the show. What do you think? Are you starting to feel a little more confident about your pregnancy and birth? Well, if you want more, be sure to head on over to mommylabornurse.com slash podcast for today's show notes and a library of episodes so you can keep getting educated before your upcoming birth. And while you're over there, be sure to check out the blog and learn about our online birth classes. Find it all and more over at mommylabornurse.com slash podcast. See you next week. Same time, same place.